Greetings and welcome to episode 7 of the Old Patrol HQ podcast. I am your host, Gil Maza. This podcast is dedicated to celebrating and preserving the history, heritage, and legacy of the Old Patrol through the words of those who lived it, with a few shenanigans along the way. Today we'll be talking with retired Old Patrol inspector, later on agent, Jerry C. Goodman, who graduated in session 80 out of Los Fresnos. What was it like in the Old Patrol, you might ask? Well, come and hear it for yourself. Ain't no patrol like the Old Patrol. Honor first, honor always. Hello. Good morning, sir. This is Gil Maza from Old Patrol HQ. Good morning. How are you, sir? Uh, how are you doing this morning? Very good. Went out, took a nice dip in the pool, and uh, relaxing in the air conditioning. Excellent. Uh, I hope you're gearing up for a good uh, a good Fourth of July weekend. Yeah, we're doing the same thing. We're um, uh, our, we're, we're going to hang out with our family probably uh, Saturday for a little while, but that's about it. Go to church on Sunday morning if they still let us. Well, I was going to have my uh, nephews down, uh, and because of this uh, coronavirus, I just told everybody, let's let's just. Hold off. Let's see what happens. Not to push it in. Uh, here in Texas, uh, the governor just governor just issued a, a total mask wearing for everybody, which I think is a good thing. I'd like to start out with you by uh, just talking about how you got started in the patrol. Sure. <clears throat> I was in the United States Coast Guard from... Uh, 
I left the Coast Guard and went up to Mendota and worked odd jobs with plumbers and at a factory and uh, mm-hmm. for a few months. And then I got a notice that I had passed the examination and they wanted to do an oral interview with me in Chicago, Illinois. Ah. Which scared me. I'd never been. In Miami had been the biggest city I'd ever been in, but I... I took a train up there, and it, I swear to God, it must have been 30 below zero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, went in and got through the interview, okay, and they decided they would hire me, and they were going to send me for a physical the next day, and uh, I was stranded there in Chicago. I didn't know what to do, so I asked the district director, can your secretary help me find... Uh, lodging and uh so she found me someplace nearby uh which was really a rat trap i mean it was uh <laughs> <laughs> kept me up all night long with the fights and everything else going on mm. and a shared bathroom you know down the hall wow but anyway the next day went to a public health service hospital it seemed to me like it's a 40-minute drive out there. And I, w- I went to the physical exam, and the uh, doctors out there told me that the examination that they were giving me per instruction was the same one they gave the astronauts. Really? Yeah. This was in January. Anyway, in April, I was notified that I was to report to Mercedes, Texas. So I took a train to Mercedes. It was snowing in Chicago. And when I got to uh, Arlington, Texas, which is only 10 miles from Mercedes, mm-hmm. it must have been 115 degrees. <laughs> what, a what a difference. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was dressed, I, I wore. Uh, a suit, a three-piece suit with uh, a little uh, little hat, and I, you know, I looked like Al Capone getting off the train there. <laughs> a, a deputy sheriff picked me up, and wanted to know who I was, what I was doing. I told him I've just been hired for the border patrol, and uh, he said, "Okay." He said several other have come in, and uh, they're staying at this little old hotel. Back in those days, they didn't have motels. Yeah. So we went in, and there were six or seven guys that were already there. And um, we bunked in there and then got sworn in the next day. This was April 12, 1961. Uh, and uh, 62, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And then on uh, April 16th, we were sent to Los Fresnos. We were the second class to go into Los Fresnos. There was another class in front of us that was, uh, as a matter of fact, they took their five and a half months right there at the academy. Uh. But our first job was to police the grounds with sticks to clear all the reptiles away. Yeah, it, was, it was covered with rattlesnakes and we killed a few coral snakes on it on the way but uh it, it was way out there in 
roots and it was uh, it was wild and woolly country. So this was this was session eighty, right? What's that? The, uh, the session you went to was session eighty eight zero. Eight zero, yes. Mm -hmm. And how was the academy like for you? The, the academy was stark because we were the second class going through there. Uh, they didn't have a bar or a bowling alley like they had later on. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was nothing for entertainment. And uh, the nearest town was Fort Isabel or Brownsville and Matamoris across the river. So when you did get any free time, you know, you went to one of those three places. Now, we we spent our weekends to uh, earn our, uh, we called it uh, UOT, uncontrollable overtime back in those days, uh -huh. working at different stations like Brownsville or Kingsville or Mercedes uh, to uh, build up the hours. We'd go down and do line watch on the river at nighttime. While you were at the academy? Oh, yes. Ah. So it was from the yeah, frying pan into the fire for you guys. The, uh, UOT, uh, the UOT, our base salary was that of a GS-7. But the UOT was based on step 10 of a GS-5. Mm. But a few extra dollars in your pocket, yeah. Yeah. And how much, about how much were you making? I'm sorry? About how much were you making at the time, like in your paychecks? When I when I signed on with $5,553 a year. Man. And, um... Which, we, uh, you know, we, uh, we got by on it, so... Yeah? Uh, we ate our meals on base. They did have a cafeteria there. Well, you know, it sounds like a, it doesn't sound like a lot to us right now, but in those days, you know, with the comparative economy, I would imagine that that was that, was that considered good money for you? Yeah, it's, you know, it, it was average, uh, probably what the average wage was, you know, for the rest of the country. Yeah, because uh, I know that the, a lot of the people that I've interviewed that were that started out as patrol inspectors eventually went on to get jobs that were offered with a higher pay, either at the, you know, a customs and immigration service or uh, in other places as well. So they ended up taking up jobs that paid a little bit better. Uh, but at the time, that's what the, that's what you guys were making there in the patrol. So who were some of your who were some of your classmates that might still be around, might still be on Facebook? Mercedes, and he ended up as a uh, uh, Iraq uh, and sack of DEA in New Orleans and uh, uh, Dallas. A uh, very famous guy in, in DEA. Uh, Joe Bennett uh, was all over. Joe retired as chief uh, from New Orleans. He had been chief in uh, uh, San Juan and also in charge in Guadalajara before that. Alan Worman 
was another good friend in the academy. He retired as assistant district director in San Diego. Uh, there were so many. We, we did have a lot of guys that went to other agencies, to FBI, the uh, Secret Service, to uh, ATF especially, and uh, Customs Agency. And uh, after you got uh, you had to make probation first and that, before you could go to another job, mm-hmm. and anyone would hire you. And the thing that was unique back in those days, uh, they were slow in hiring. I didn't have a trainee to ride a CNE on for four years. <laughs> wow. I was so excited when we got our first trainees in so that I could ride around and, and write up those conduct and efficiency reports. And you're looking forward to it. I got to tell you a funny story, though. <laughs> On my five and one half month examination, I had to go to McAllen, and the board consisted of Chief Dorn, D O R N, and Bill Jordan, uh, he, Bill was um, assistant chief at uh, Brownsville at that time. Very famous guy. Uh, well, you know who Bill Jordan is. I've heard of him, yes. Yeah, he, he was our big pistolier and mm-hmm. later a uh, rider for Field and Stream and everything. He's about six foot four, six foot five, lean, and uh, with a sense of humor. Uh, but when I sat down to t- take the examination, of course, I had my dress uniform on. My Sam Brown was slung to the right-hand side. That's, I, I, that's where my holster was. But when we began the examination, I picked up the pencil with my left hand. And uh, he looked at me and he said, Son, I notice you shoot with your right hand. And you right with your left hand. <laughs> you homosexual? It's <laughs> 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 I know it scared the hell out of me. I needed that job, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Chief Gordon said, excuse me, uh, Bill, but I think the word is ambidextrous. <laughs> and Jordan laughed and he said, oh, hell yeah, I always get that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of shaky the rest of the exam, but I passed. I'll bet. <laughs> uh, that was a memorial, uh, memorable experience. I can imagine. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you, back in those days, it's 1962, mm-hmm. you could cut, <laughs> cut the river. We have really good drag strips and all. You could cut sign down there and then go back and cut it again and you could go home at night knowing nobody got through you. Mm-hmm. Traffic was not heavy because they had a modified Bracero program at that time where people could come to the port of entry as temporary uh, agricultural workers. The only way we could make an arrest if we get our name in the, in, in the apprehension book was to to break a false claim. Mm-hmm. And there were those in the valley. They, I mean, a lot of midwives, a lot of uh, big baptismal 
original certificates, take birth control, birth certificates, and we really got skillful at, you know, breaking false claims. It was good practice. We learned a lot doing that. And it served me well later on in my career. But we would get sent on detail out to California to Chula or to El Centro to help them out because their traffic was quite heavy out there. Or up to Fresno during the harvest season. And we'd see more illegal aliens in one day than we'd seen the whole year in the valley. And it was exciting, you know, the chases and everything out there. But And it was good to travel to a different part of the country. But during my first years in the Border Patrol, it was an exciting time. Because in 1962 was the Cuban Missile Crisis. And when that started, I was still in the Coast Guard Reserves. I had four years of, of regular duty, but I also had the obligation two years in the reserve. I got a notice from Marine Corps Recruiting Depot in San Antonio that I was to report up there at a certain date. And I drove the sector and I showed it to Chief Tommy Ball, and he said, I can't do anything about it. You know, if you're called up, you have to go. Well, fortunately... If you know your history, that blew over in about three or four days after Kennedy and Khrushchev kind of made some arrangement. But I I was sure afraid that, well, we we were all afraid for the world at that time, you know, if they had a a nuclear exchange, you know. Uh, Even in in high school, we used to have those drills where you jumped under the desk, you know. Yeah. What was your first duty station? That passed, and then the following year, JFK got, well, no, before that happened, same year, 1962, they decided to integrate the University of Mississippi uh, Mississippi at Oxford, or Jackson, Mississippi. So they pulled out half of the water patrol in the valley and sent them up there to... uh, the campus up there to uh, enforce the the enrollment of James Meredith. I didn't go because I was a trainee. I only had a few months in. Mm-hmm. But uh, the guys who went, they uh, they had quite an experience. It was a scary time for them. And, and uh, after that, uh, one incident that sticks in my mind was on July 24th, of 1964, I got a call at home about 10 p.m. that my boss has been shot down on the river. Wow. So, anyway, another guy picked me up and uh, we went across the river to Las Flores, it's called Nuevo Progreso today, uh, to the Comandante of the the, uh, Municipal Police there and told him that our boss had been shot. We don't know who was involved, but we were going to patrol the river on the Mexican side. No ifs, ands, and buts. 
<laughs> and he acquiesced, you know, and we were wearing our weapons, but he didn't say anything. But we watched from the Mexican side in case somebody was swimming in the river, you know, trying to get away. And uh, in the meantime, uh, Mr. Earl had uh, about a hundred, maybe 150 yards away from his Jeep, and he, he had been shot through the gut, but he was able to uh, pull himself through this cotton field to his Jeep, started to uh, get out from under the mesquite trees so he could transmit out the fact that he had been shot and was losing a lot of blood. Oh, man. And fortunately, they were able to get to him and mm -hmm. get him to a hospital and get IVM transfusions into him. And they, they took out several feet of his intestines, but he survived. Ah. And, uh, what, was the, what was the first duty station that you reported to? Mercedes. Okay, so you stayed, you, uh, you went, when you went to the academy, you basically just ended up staying there in Mercedes to, uh, as your first duty station? I stayed at Mercedes until September of 1970. Ah, uh, okay. Now, in those days, I got all kinds, every year I got either an outstanding or a sustained superior, but there was no, no opportunities for promotion to supervisor. They had a policy that you had to go and be an immigrant inspector for one year before they would consider you for a supervisor job unless that supervisor job was some undesirable place like Presidio, some isolated place, mm -hmm. and they kind of overlooked that requirement. <laughs> I'll bet. Well, we, uh, we were GSAs at the time in 1970, and... Uh, the union was able to get us an upgrade and a change of title from inspector to agent in about July of 1970. Uh, uh, a lot of us had really gotten frustrated, you know, waiting and yeah. seeing our buddies that had moved on were doing well. <coughs> I myself took the uh, treasure exam that was going to go be a customs agent. <coughs> but, excuse me, got a cough. That's all right. Hold on. Customs, uh, customs knew me and they wanted to hire me, but I had to drop back to a GS-5 in order to, uh, to do it. Mm. <coughs> and uh, while I was pondering that, I got a call to go to McAllen to sector, and Chief Ball had that I had been selected for an immigrant inspector's job in Honolulu, Hawaii. I forgot I'd ever put in for that thing. Mm. But when I was going to the academy, two great instructors, uh, Lloyd Van House and Bill Swancott, both had been in Honolulu before they came back to the academy, and they had wonderful stories about it, and I thought, well, what the hell? So I, I went to Honolulu, and uh, 
was over there almost five years. Uh, but while I was there, because I was just out of the Border Patrol, uh, they only had one investigator who was worth a damn. Everybody else was about 70 years old and not doing anything. The investigator there <clears throat> had stomach cancer, and they wanted some big guy to kind of watch over him and still carry on the investigative work. So I was detailed as criminal investigator for a couple of years there. Oh, okay. I, I, I love the job. And I was still getting paid all the big money that the immigrant uh, inspectors were doing. Oh, that's good. Now, the immigration inspection job was, uh, it was really something else. About every other month, we we had to go and fly to another country, board a cruise ship, inspect the crew, the entire crew. Some of the crews were almost a thousand uh, crewmen, and inspect all the passengers. So when they arrived in Honolulu, they didn't have to go through inspection. They could disembark, go enjoy and see the sights, and then get back on going with their crews. Mm -hmm. So I made trips to New Zealand. Argentina, to Sula, Samoa, uh, two trips to Tokyo, uh, and uh, all expenses paid, you know, you're eating at the captain's table, they, they treat you like royalty. Nice. And you can do your work in two days, and then you got whatever's left, you know, four days or seven or eight days on board, just do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> so you got to see a lot. Yeah. It was pretty good. And then while I was working the investigations in the islands, I would travel to the outer islands to do fraud investigation. There was a lot of marriage fraud back in those days. And uh, so I'd go, you know, to Kauai, Molokai, uh, Maui, Big Island, and uh, uh, do my interviews and do my investigations. So... I uh, did a lot over there, and I, I, I was really enjoying it, but I got crosswise with the district director. Uh, he was a politician, and uh, I didn't like some of the things I saw, so mm -hmm. I started putting in for jobs back in Texas, and the only thing that was open was uh, a, super, a supervisor and uh, immigration examiner in Dallas, which was a sub-office of Houston at the time. And uh, so I was selected for that job. And that was a big job because I, I had all of Oklahoma under my jurisdiction, all the universities and schools in West Texas and North Texas and all of Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot to do with the, uh, the foreign students Plus the regular work of running uh, uh, the airports. I ran FW, uh, the one in Oklahoma City, the one in Lubbock, and one in Tulsa, the international airports. It was a big job. I'll bet. I'll bet. And a couple years later, the region moved from Richmond, Virginia, to Dallas. And when they came down, they converted Dallas into a district office, and I became an assistant district director. But by that time, I was tired, so 
I, I put in for a job at a regional headquarters and uh, was selected, and uh, that was good. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, from there, I went to uh, Tokyo as the officer in charge for a few months uh, to reopen the office at the request of the State Department. <coughs> I uh, helped coordinate the move of the uh, Border Patrol Academy from those Fresnos to... Uh, to uh, Glencoe in 1977, uh. <coughs> and uh, uh, I was uh, assistant officer in charge of the Marielle camp there at Angeline Air Force Base. The Cuban uh, uh, boat lift back in 1980. Yeah, Marielitos, uh-huh. Yeah, that was, uh, that was quite something. I can imagine. So you guys work together. Oh yeah, he worked for me. Oh, he worked for you, okay. Okay. It, it was kind of hard to control. Uh, to this day, he calls me Poppy because I, I had to scold him a few times. But <laughs> <laughs> nah, nobody liked Paul the Costa. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> That's what I hear. That's what I hear. Uh, and uh, well, basically, I. I finished out my career down here uh, in anti-smuggling. Along with that, I had the intelligence and the deportation program. But uh, I had offices in San Angelo and uh, 
Eagle Pass and Del Rio as my anti-smuggling uh, agent. So I retired down here and stayed here. Yeah. And you've been... Uh, and that's, that's where you've been living ever since? Hello? Yes, sir. Uh, January 3rd, 1994. Ah, okay. <clears throat> the reason is because I wanted to work those two holidays before I retired. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> 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 I've been retired 27 years. Unfortunately, most of the roster of my class have uh, passed on. Mm hmm. And, uh, Anyway, I, I'm fine. I live on Lake Amistad, uh, which is eight miles outside of Del Rio. I bought this place in 1981. Built it up. Only had one neighbor. And uh, the best view on the lake. And uh, we're very happy. Very happy. I'm very glad to hear that. Um, uh I know that uh, you know your reputation precedes you. A lot of the people that talk about you there on uh, on social media and everybody else, you know, they speak very highly of you. I wanted to ask you just a quick, a few more questions as far as um, you know, back when you first started out. Like, who, uh, do you remember some of your journeymen? Some of the journeymen? Yeah, that you had in those days. Well, there in Mercedes, I can remember uh, Larry Dalton was my roommate in the academy. Mm-hmm. Ex-New York cop, Predator Marine, real good guy, A.D. Moyer, A.D. Uh, was district director of Chicago and uh, unfortunately passed away from ALS. Edgar Carswell, retired as port director in uh, Vermont. Red Somerville. Retired as uh, Deputy District Director in Harlingen. Clyde Vincent Hopper Sr. left for Arizona as an Amateur Inspector and later committed suicide. Uh, Joe Capasso left and went to Secret Service and retired from Secret Service but uh, died from AIDS. He he was living in Houston, and he contracted the AIDS through blood transfusion. Joe was not, you know, Joe was not homosexual or prone to uh, uh, AIDS. Uh, and Houston is very, well, back then, was a very bad place to get blood. Yeah. But uh, I guess they didn't screen enough. And let me think, oh, David Wolf retired as... Uh, Regional Commissioner of Examinations in uh, in the Eastern Region. He just turned 90 years old. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the other journeyman. Uh, that that's all right. I just wanted to get a get a feel for who was out there. You know, when you first got there and who was working. Uh, oh yeah, uh, Jerry Harville was another one. We didn't, we didn't have a large station, uh -huh. you know, so, uh, oh, Johnny Phelps, he was my, my protege, Johnny, 
but it's been written up in a, in a book called Desperados. Johnny went to customs from immigration in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and when they created DEA, he became a DEA agent, and he was uh, he was one of the first guys down in Colombia as the uh, resident agent in charge. He's the one that came up with the idea to put transponders in the shipment of the essential chemicals. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, his, his discovery led to uh, to the destruction of the largest lab at that time in Columbia, Translandia. Johnny went on to become sack rack at New Orleans, Dallas, central office, head of internal affairs. And I talked to him occasionally, but unfortunately, he and his wife, who I've known since she was a teenager, are suffering from the effects of Parkinson's. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, and uh, uh, several of my other friends, very close friends uh, through anti-smuggling, have passed away from uh, dementia. Ah. That is the saddest thing. Yeah, yes it is. Um, in the few, in the moments we have left, are there any uh, good, any particular uh, good war stories or some funny stories you want to share with us and uh, with the listeners of Old Patrol HQ? Uh, the, uh, around this area here, uh, outside of the ordinary killings and everything across the river. Uh, about 1990, we had a twin-engine uh, aerial commander that crash-landed in Mexico uh, south of Dryden. And uh, anyway, I, I was, my intelligence officer notified me, so I got a hold of the federal police commander, and uh, I took him out there on a helicopter and dropped him off at the uh, plane site. All the time I was going out there, customs was on the air saying uh, the ambassador hadn't cleared it, and uh, the uh, commandante was telling me, I gave him my walkie-talkie, and he said, Mr. Goodman, I'm much a peligro aquí, you know, and a lot of the, he was alone on the ground, you know, with a little <laughs> much gun. And he, uh, he didn't know where the pilots were. Nobody died in the crash. It was loaded with cocaine. Wow. And, uh, I, I told, I, I told him, I don't care about the ambassador, border patrol's going in. And <laughs> about that time, the, the head of the custom down here said, oh, we just got to receive war took, and we got a black hawk on the way. Oh. <laughs> that was so funny. But anyway, we brought that, we loaded that cocaine into one of the black hogs, brought it back to Del Rio to my office, put it in one of my suburban took it through the port of entry to the federal police office on the other side, and uh, uh, customs was swarming over that, all over that place, and they had little doodads, like little flags and, and caps, ball caps, they were passing out like this as a carnival or something, and one of them took a knife and dug into the kilo so he could make a, a sample. This was in Mexico. Mm. 
And my friend Enrique, the commandante, put a machine gun on him and says, he said, you're in Mexico. And I told him, you better knock off, boys. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he sent some people out of Mexico City. They picked up my friend, and they took him to Mexico City and held him for two weeks and tortured him. And when he came back, you speak Spanish, right? Yes. Sure. Yes. Right. When he came back, he says, Senor Goodman, Usted no tiene ninguna idea de lo que me hicieron ahí. Oh, they have, you I have no idea what they did to me. He later committed suicide because oh. that, but because that package had been interfered with and opened, and he had allowed foreign uh, people in there. And, and you know how Mexico City is. Hell, it was probably their damn world to start with. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I, I raised a little hell of that uh, with the local uh, Spanish newspaper on the other side. And about a month later, they awarded Enrique a high award posthumously. It was on national TV uh, to his son. Wow. Are there um are there any are there any of your buddies on uh, on social media you want to say hi to? On on media, no, no. Yeah, they you're you're on there pretty regularly anyway, right? Yeah, I'm on I'm on the the uh, legacy border troll the uh, Corbo uh, website, you know. So I I stay in touch with uh with those people, and I, I try to go to all of the uh, formal meetings, and if you're not a member, you should be. I, I am. Okay, uh, I went I went last year to Macau, I'm very crippled nowadays, I've had, uh, I've had uh, 14 operations on my knees, but year before last, I had a terrible fall, I broke my pelvis in uh, several places. And so, essentially, I'm, uh, I can't walk. I, I, uh, it's unassisted. I can do it with a walker. But I've uh, made my, my home and my pool area and my barns as in handicapped accessible. And uh, I've got some scooters I get around on. You know, I, I can still do most of anything I want to, uh, fence repair or Anything except I can't get up on the roof, that's for sure. <laughs> How old are you, sir? I'm 81. 81 years old. Well, you know, I um, uh, for a lot of 81 year olds are not aren't don't know their way around social media as well as you do. Yeah, thanks to grandchildren. <laughs> yes, yes, thanks to our grandchildren. But. Um, as we wind down, I just want to say, first of all, what an honor it is for me to sit here and listen to you relate your experience and stories, uh, starting out as a patrol inspector, and you got to see the transition from patrol inspector to patrol agent, right, to a, a border patrol agent, and um, and then your progression from there, moving through the ranks and uh, accomplishing what you did and, and, uh, and the things that you were able to do that a lot of us today... Uh, you know, a lot of that stuff we can't do anymore. A lot of that work we're not doing quite in, as much anymore. It's a whole different type of agency. 
But I just want you to know that you're, you know, we consider you part of our history, of our heritage, of our legacy, of you carving the way for the rest of us to, um, you know, to be proud of the uniform we wear. I retire this coming March. Um, I'm still, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I was in the in, in 1996 in the in class 313. So that's a long way from class 80 for sure. Uh, and uh, I, and, uh, yeah, and uh, so I retire this coming March, and I plan on visiting not just retirement uh, meetings with the retired guys here in California, but I'd like to actually travel in time to meet, to be at some of the meetings of the retirees throughout the United States and do some more interviews and talk about experiences and this is what this is all about right so it's a, a, a you know yeah we I run a business and I'm a filthy capitalist that's for sure but uh, the second part and what I feel in my heart the most important part is to, again preserving the lives and adventures and experiences and stories of uh, of uh, old patrol inspectors like yourself who really went in there and uh, made a dent. Like you said, you know, uh, when they needed someone to come in and ramp things up, you were the right man for the right job. I'd like to add one thing, and I want you to hear it. Yes, sir. When we, when we came in 1962, the Rio Grande Valley did not like border patrolmen. Hmm. The signs in the in the stores was dogs and border patrolmen not allowed. No kidding. There was, reason, there was a reason for that. A few years before, General Swing, who was the commissioner under Eisenhower, had conducted Operation Wetback in the valley, and they brought a, a bunch of the northern border patrolmen down to assist. And they were very rough on the people, and they just picked up everybody and put them on ships headed for Veracruz or planes going down to Leon, Guanajuato, and uh, took people out of the fields with the water running, irrigation water running. I, I, and so then they got to go home to Vermont and, and wherever they're from, Michigan, 
Mm-hmm. Us young guys who came in, we didn't know anything about that, but everybody thought, since he's a border patrolman, he's one of them. Yeah. I went to Sunday school at a Baptist church there one Sunday. The next Sunday, nobody was there. Because of you? Yeah. Wow. And that was the anti-border patrol feeling in about, and we eventually overcome, we overcame it by, you know, uh, getting involved in uh, Little League basketball and catching a whole lot of burglars. Uh, you know, yes. they definitely share, they just couldn't cut sign and stay up with us, you know. And we had a lot of uh, breaking entries in there. So uh, we, we worked through that, but uh, the Border Patrol was not a well-received uh, person back in those days. Well, I, I can imagine. And uh, the funny thing is a lot of people don't realize that even though we primarily are concerned with uh, enforcement of immigration and, uh, you know, uh, contraband and drugs and things like that, that sometimes along the border, we're the only law enforcement within, you know, within, you know, hundreds of miles and perhaps even hours before law, uh, sheriffs or PD or highway patrol can show up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, sir, it has been a true pleasure and a true honor for me to sit here and listen to this, um, to listen to your experiences. And I know that everybody else uh, in the patrol that's going to hear this is going to be also uh, uh, inspired and encouraged by the fact that we had men like you out there uh, towing the line and when doing the line watch and doing the work. And uh, I think it helps us all walk a little prouder and a little straighter, uh, you know, wearing the mean green. Well, thank you. Good talking to you, sir. God bless you, and uh, thank you so much. And if you're coming through Del Rio, uh, holler or attend our election. Uh, Hopefully, we'll get through this virus thing sometime. uh, Well, you can count on it, sir. If I'm in that area, I'm definitely going to stop by and see you. So be ready. This concludes Episode 7 of the Old Patrol HQ Podcast with Old Patrol Inspector Agent Jerry C. Goodman. Stay tuned for more great interviews with all your favorite Old Patrol heroes and legends. Don't forget, if you're listening on Apple or Google, give us a review and five stars so we can climb up that filthy capitalist corporate ladder. Come browse through the Old Patrol HQ store at oldpatrolhq.bigcartel.com for some amazing products that you can wear proudly honoring the history, heritage, and legacy of the patrol with a few shenanigans along the way. Ain't no patrol like the Old Patrol. Honor first. Honor always.